Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Somewhere in our fair city, people are putting on the finishing touches on their outfits for tomorrow's Iroquois steeplechase. It's a full day of horse racing in the sprawling green pastures at Percy Warner Park. Spectators will be decked out in sun hats, sundresses, and seersuckers to watch the horses sprint around a three-mile track. Today, we'll learn about the history of this old Nashville tradition and explore the roots of equestrian culture in Tennessee. And we'll fast forward to the present with one woman who's part in an effort to make this an antiquated affair, more inclusive in modern-day Nashville. But first, financial institutions hoping to take action against climate change may no longer be able to do business with the state. That's after Tennessee's legislature passed a bill last week that would make it nearly impossible for banks to do business with the state if they divest from fossil fuels. To get a better understanding of what this means, we're joined by WPLN environmental reporter Caroline Eggers. Hey, Caroline. Hey, thanks for having me today. Pleasure to have you. So, you know, I feel like divestment is one of those words that a lot of us have heard, especially more in the past decade or so. But truthfully, a lot of us don't really fully understand. What is divestment? So divestment is the opposite of investment. So when you divest, you're removing your investment capital from stocks, bonds, or funds. And it can be done for moral or financial reasons. And you see both of these in the fossil fuel divestment movement. So how has divestment been gaining momentum here in Tennessee? So right now it's most visible on college campuses. Both Vanderbilt and the University of Tennessee are leading divestment campaigns on campus. That's because students don't want university endowments to be invested in fossil fuel companies. What other type of institutions are in the game? So right now, if you look at the global data, faith-based organizations are leading this movement. They represent about a third of the institutions that have divested. After that, there'd be schools and philanthropic foundations. Okay, so break this down a little bit for us. What does all of this mean? Um, so this bill is actually pretty simple. <laughs> it says the state won't work with financial companies that say they won't work with fossil fuel companies. It's unclear what the state will consider as a financial institution. Um, but it is also important to note that a version of this bill was considered in at least seven states this year. And it passed in West Virginia in March. So during the Senate vote last week, Democratic Senator Jeff Yarbrough expressed some of his concerns about the bill. I think it's a, a dangerous precedent for this body to set. We're deciding as a state to intervene in the market based on the private decisions of businesses that we don't have any authority to control. And typically don't use our coercive power to, to try to influence. But we're unquestionably doing that here. And it also is just an intervention in the free market that people oftentimes like to talk about positively here. So obviously Yarborough's warning didn't change the outcome of the vote. What does that tell us? Well, uh, Republicans hold a supermajority in the state and their policies are aligned with the fossil fuel industry. 
Uh, legislature said this bill was about protecting the free market, uh, which is something you typically hear uh, when a legislature is trying to pass a pro-fossil fuel bill. So Texas has a similar law on its books. How has this played out there? Uh, so Texas has hit some snags while trying to implement this program. Um, it's actually a little goofy. The state hired a financial firm to figure out which companies are divesting so that the state could boycott them. Uh, but the company they hired actually had a decarbonization goal. Hmm. So that means this company that they hired was actually the exact type of company that Texas wants to boycott. Okay. I can imagine that's a big time snag. So tell me, how will this affect the fossil fuel industry? It's pretty unclear right now what this means for the fossil fuel industry. Um, they are happy that the bill passed. Um, but as you know, Texas passed their bill last year and they, they haven't figured out yet how to even implement it. What type of fears do investors have about the fossil fuel industry? So some investors have concerns about putting money into an industry that's causing the climate crisis. Um, and they're also worried about their bottom line. If countries uh, decide to actually get serious about climate change, then the industry could crash. Okay, so what's the message the Tennessee legislature sent this session on how it plans to tackle climate change? So our state legislature is not acting on climate change, and some of their bills could actively contribute to it. Mm. Caroline Eggers is the environmental reporter for WPLN. You can check out her article at WPLN.org. Thanks so much, Caroline. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, our guests will break down the history of the Iroquois steeplechase ahead of tomorrow's event. Get ready to ride. And tell us your steeplechase stories. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Tomorrow is the annual Iroquois steeplechase. Thousands of people will gather at Percy Warner Park to enjoy this annual party. For some, it's the event of the year. Last week, we sent our producer, Rose Gilbert, out to race grounds as organizers like Dwight Hall were preparing for the event. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. As we're walking out here, you see this bell uh, that's painted in yellow and blue. Uh, that is uh, the winner's colors of last year's Iroquois. So every year, uh, the winner of the Iroquois, we paint the bell in their colors. Back when 1941, there weren't cell phones, there weren't radios, uh, and what they would do would be ring the bell up there when they were ready to bring for the horses to come up for the next race and then when they left the barn to go up they would ring this bell to alert uh the people up on the track that the horses were coming oh there you go so and it's a big old heavy bell <laughs> uh, so that's the history of that and the barn that we're walking through was actually built uh, not for uh, the steeplechase, uh, but for the mules uh, that were used to build the park, Percy Warner Park. Do y'all ever still ring the bell? Yes, we up there, we don't down here, but up there when the horses leave, uh, it's tradition we ring the bell. So we do ring the bell before every race. Uh, you can see the bell being rung on the jumbotron. There you go. I guess this was a replacement for the jumbotrons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, these guys are, are that you see in loading things are putting up some of the rails on the racetrack. Uh, from here, uh, we might want to go up to the racetrack uh, and I'll show you the turf. We think we've got one of the best, uh, finest turf courses in the country. So are the horses running here or are they running there? Right here. Right here. This is a racetrack. If you turn, see, you can see. It feels really springy. Yeah, it, then that's all, you know, we maintain the course year round. Uh, and it's all about the safety and I, I don't want to brag but I guarantee if you walk out on Churchill Downs turf course it won't feel anything like this. I, pr I promise because I've been out there. Our producer is from Louisville. Oh, I'm sorry, Louisville. And so I don't know if she's allowed to agree with that hometown loyalty and all. But joining me now are a few people who know a lot about the history of this equestrian tradition. Bill Haggard is a field master for Mel's Foxhounds, and Stephen Haggard is an honorary whisperer at Mel's Foxhounds. Both are trustees for the Iroquois Steeplechase. Bill and Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. We're excited about being here. Thank you very much. Really happy to have you both here. So let's start off with the basics. Bill, what is a steeplechase? Well, basically, it's a, uh, an event that took place many, many, many years ago where the fox hunters would have a little little game going on where they would take uh, horses and race them from one steeple, church steeple, to another. And this has been going on for hundreds of years now. And so it became more and more of a going concern. And so what you see today stemmed from that, but it came from the fox hunting world, from a fox hunting group. So is this event kind of like the Summer Olympics? And how is this one different? Well, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it Olympics, but it's a fun event to, to come to. To Now they have great horses from all over the country uh, coming to Nashville, to the Iroquois, which has been here quite some time. It's a big tradition for Nashville to come and race and see who's the best. Okay, we're going to see tomorrow. We're going to find out. So I think I understand what a steeplechase is now, but how is it unique to the one that's happening tomorrow? Steve? Yes. Well, uh, we run under the auspices of the National Steeplechase Association, and they sanction about 30 meets a year, and they're divided into two parts of the year. We have the spring meets, and then we have the, uh, the fall and winter meets. And uh, the premier race for the spring, and that means uh, that it has the most money and it is, uh, the, presents the finest accommodations, is the Iroquois steeplechase. Uh, of all the meets in the spring, this is the race that draws the very best horses because uh, the most money is being offered to win, place, and show. And also, the participants can expect the very finest accommodations, the best track in the country, and the best hospitality. How much does the winning horse get? The purse for the Iroquois, which is a grade one race, is $150,000, and the winner takes 60% of that. Okay, that is not bad. I'm going to have to try to figure out how to get involved <laughs> with this. You know, I wonder how how many races there will be tomorrow. Is it tournament style with one champion left at the end? Not at all. There are six separate races, each with their own purse, and they are each uh, named separately, usually to honor somebody that's meant a great deal in the steeplechasing world. Uh, we have 
three graded races, and a race is graded by how much money is offered in the purse. You have to have a minimum of 50000 for a grade three race, a minimum of 75000 for a grade two race, and a minimum of 100000 for a grade one race. So we have a $150,000 race, a $75,000 race, and a $50,000 race. That's a lot of money. Well, we've got three other races that offer money as well, and we've uh, attracted the best horses in the United States and we have them coming from Ireland and England as well. Wow. Okay. In a truly international affair. Now, Stephen, thousands of people turn out for this. And so the steeplechase today, today is obviously this huge tradition here in Nashville. But tell us, how did this all get started? Where did the idea come from? Well, the first uh, Iroquois steeplechase race was run in 1941, but the track uh, was uh, construction on it was begun in 1938. And if you look back in history, in this country, we had a depression during that period of time. Uh, we also had, in Davidson County, tremendous resources in the nature of land. And the Percy Warner Parks were donated to Davidson County. And people used to, and still do, ride their horses through Percy Warner Park. Uh, a gentleman who we have a race named after and who is in the Hall of Fame, the Iroquois Hall of Fame, uh, was a, a Mr. Marcellus Frost. Everybody called him Pops. And he was riding one day, saw a beautiful area. He said this would make a great steeplechase. He was a great steeplechaser also. He got a couple of friends of his, John Sloan Sr. and a lady named Con Ball, and those last two happened to know a guy in Washington named Harry Hopkins, who played a, an instrumental role in the Works Progress Association. And guess what? The Work Progress Association was looking for projects to employ people that were unemployed. Mm -hmm. And they said, we, have we ever got a plan for you? And that was how the Iroquois steeplechase was built. And as one little side note, they presented plans, and the Works Progress Association said, that's too small. We'd like to deal in larger plans. They said, wait just a minute. We'll be back. <laughs> and they presented a plan with three racetracks on yeah. it, and they said, yeah, that's more like what we're talking about. That's fantastic. Now, you're both fox hunters. Yes, we are. Yes. So, you know, Bill, tell me, what's so special, uh, and how does the fox hunting tradition, what's so special about that in this race? Well, you know, what what is, uh, well, they have a history together because it was really originated from the fox hunting groups. And uh, so we love the fox hunting side of it, and that's what we do during the winter months is we fox hunt, and then when the spring takes place, that's when the steeplechase takes place and horse shows and things of that nature. So that's how we got started with it. Break down fox hunting for me real quick. Like, what is it about? How does it work? Well, it's a very interesting, very old sport. When you look back, George Washington, that was his favorite thing in the world to get to do was go fox hunting in Virginia. And uh, we, the hunt that we have called the Mel's uh, Foxhounds has been in since the early 60s. And essentially, we have a huntsman, and he creates a great, what they call a crack pack of hounds, hounds that are bred and conditioned for the sport of fox hunting. But really, we just chase coyotes. Okay. But, we, uh, uh, but what we do is, is that we have mounted riders who observe in the country how the hounds are doing. And so it's a magnificent sport to watch uh, a, a great pack of hounds that are on the trail and having a good time. So it's 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 just a great fun sport. It's almost like a living history is on display for newcomers at the event. You know. So, Steve, do you all offer education 
on the Huntsman and their relationship to the race? Well, the Iroquois Steeplechase has a website, and the website provides a history of the Iroquois Steeplechase. Uh, but I would submit that um, uh, there is always more that can be learned. And uh, the people that started the Iroquois Steeplechase were fox hunters. Uh, the sport of fox hunting, you're using thoroughbreds, uh, well, <laughs> a lot of times you're using thoroughbreds okay. uh, because they have speed and stamina. And uh, you want those thoroughbreds to be able to allow you to keep up with the hounds who are chasing the quarry, which generally these days, as Bill said, is the coyote. Uh, if you have such a horse and that horse jumps, uh, you might be inclined to want to race that horse. And when we go back in history, you know, it's whose horse is faster, you want to bet. Uh, while we don't have paramutual betting here in Tennessee, at least not yet, uh, there are lots of friendly wagers that uh, that go on on the side, and, and we hope the revenue people aren't aren't too strict on that. Okay, <laughs> okay, little side bets and yeah, things. little okay. side bets. Um, but uh, the uh, uh, one of the things that we do to help educate people about the connection is the parade of hounds, which occurs between the fifth race and the sixth race. And this year, as last year, the Mel's hounds will be paraded. And they'll be led by and controlled by the huntsman Charles Montgomery, who is a huntsman highly esteemed in the country for his abilities, his hound breeding abilities, his control of the pack, uh, and his huntsmanship. And he'll be aided by uh, two professional whipper ends. Uh, these hounds will uh, parade in front of the entire crowd, and they can see what a pack of foxhounds looks like. I wonder how many hounds are going to be in the parade? We anticipate, uh, and we, we, we count them by couple. We count two hounds at a time. So if you're talking to a huntsman, he says, yes, I'll bring, be bringing out 20 couple today. That's 40 hounds. But we anticipate probably uh, maybe 13 couple tomorrow of the very best hounds. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking with trustees Bill Haggard and Stephen Hurd about the history of the Iroquois steeplechase. So I understand you both grew up going to the steeplechase. Is that right? Well, I'll say this is that my grandfather was, uh, <clears throat> he used to be in the bell tower. And when I was a, a young kid, it was fun to, to watch all the races. And my father rode in the race, and I, I have one claim to fame is that I won the big pony race. The big pony <laughs> the race. The big pony race. They don't do that anymore, but but it was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of friends and, and family that were very involved in that, my grandfather being one of them, and my other grandfather, too. So I was sort of raised in that in that end of it, and, and I've enjoyed it so many years. What was the prize for being the champion at the big pony race? You know, race? I still have it today. I have a silver pitcher. It's got a dent in it. I don't know what happened there, but I still have my little silver picture, uh, picture and myself going across the line, pulling my horse back with great gusto. <laughs> nice. What about you, Stephen? Um, well, I, I really started fox hunting. Uh, I've done a fair amount of horse showing, primarily eventing, uh, some dressage and some show jumping. Uh, but it was the fox hunting, once again, that caused me to be drafted into the Iroquois steeplechase. And... Uh, it didn't take too long of fox hunting before I was asked, well, would you help us out a little bit and help us out a little <laughs> bit uh, 
turned out to be help out a lot. Um, <laughs> As it often is. Yes, one uh, thing leads to another, right? Yeah, <laughs> never, never volunteer or offer an opinion. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, both Bill and I are heavily invested in the Iroquois steeplechase. And I, I would like to make one comment. Um, the Iroquois steeplechase has in the forefront of its mind the safety of the horses and the riders. To that end, we have over 100 people that are out there, uh, professionals that have volunteered simply and totally for the safety of the horses and the riders alone. No other jobs. That's what their duties are. So we take uh, care of the horses uh, very, very seriously, and we take care of the jockeys very, very seriously. I know that's important because I know with um, other traditional standard races, there's been questions about the treatment of the horses at the Preakness, the Kentucky Derby, Belmont Stakes. Yes, and, and uh, track out in California had some problems as mm -hmm. well. Uh, that is why we keep a track that uh, it costs a great deal of money to keep it up, but it is the safe track because it provides uh, a virtual carpet of padding for the horses. Um, we also uh, are very, very strict uh, uh, about the care of the horses. Uh, there are rules that govern how the horses can be treated and what constitutes mistreatment. And we have stewards that are on, on uh, the grounds, three of them, that will be observing uh, how the jockeys uh, perform. And if there is any sort of mistreatment, uh, they're liable to be fined and sanctioned. But as far as the horses are concerned, uh, we provide two cool-down areas for these horses after they've finished the race, and we have not had a heat-related problem in years. Uh, you have to say that with any athletic endeavor, be it human, horse, or otherwise, uh, accidents can happen, and there are human frailties and animal frailties that can play a part. But I believe that we have uh, one of the safest venues in the country. Bill. What does it feel like to be on the track? I mean, what's the atmosphere like on race day on that end? Well, you know, your your blood pressure kind of goes up, your excitement, your passion. You know, the hair kind of goes up on the back of your neck when the horses are running and you see all of this activity and action going on. It's thrilling, uh, and it's fun to get to watch it. It's, as they say, it's one of the great uh, uh, witnessing things you get to do in your life. So the horses are going full out, making jumps, going around, and it, it's really something else. Everybody needs to come out there and see that. What are some of the most memorable races in history? Like where there's some dead with just like neck and neck, almost photo oh finishes. Oh my God! Well, you know it's almost that way every time you get to come out of there. There's a there's a place in part of the track called the Heartbreak Hill. Okay. And so uh, before they get to the finish line, they got to go around the track, sometimes two, three miles, and they're going around the track, coming up this big old hill, and and they're all fighting it, the uh, trying to to make it. They got to go up the hill, which is a little bit more difficult. And then when they get to that flat and take those last jumps, it is, it's beyond exciting. Wow. I bet you the crowd, if there's a, oh, it's a they tight go crazy. race, the crowd oh, goes Oh, they're wild. on their feet cheering and going crazy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I feel like traditions like these have some really specific terminology, right? Well, yes, they do. <laughs> okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to present some terms, and I want you know either one of you or both of you <laughs> to answer these kind of rapid fire style. You ready? You got it. Okay. Bill, flat race. Fast and Furious. Okay, okay. Steven, Silks. 
Silks are the garments, sometimes in England called jackets, that jockeys wear to identify the owner. The owner registers colors, and they're called colors too, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that are specific to the owner. And the jockey who is riding the owner's horse must wear those silks. Okay. Bill, infield. Well, Enfield is super exciting as well because uh, they ha- they enjoy themselves. They have a few drinks mm-hmm. and they like the little partying activity. And sometimes they don't pay a lot of attention to the race, but they really enjoy it. And you get a lot of people that are dressed up and enjoying themselves watching the race. You know, I'm from the suburbs of Baltimore, so oh, I've, yes. I've been to the Preakness. Oh yes, and I've been in the Enfield. And let's just say I agree with you 100. Yeah, you know the drill. I missed I missed the race entirely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stephen, the hill. Well, the hill, uh, if we're not talking about Heartbreak Hill, the hill at the Iroquois steeplechase is where uh, any individual can walk in and pay a modest sum of money, spread a blanket out, and still have a view of the entire race course. Okay. It's kind of like a baseball park. Where they just got it. It is, it is very much so. That was one of the reasons they chose that site is because it had a natural bowl. The the sculpting of the earth there, the topo of the earth, really lended itself to where people could sit down with a blanket and get an opportunity to see the races. All right, Bill, the inside track. Oh, the inside track. Well, that's one I went on myself, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack the first time I ever did it as a kid. It, it's, again, fast and furious, and uh, it's something else to watch. It's just something you got to see. We are definitely really excited to see this all. <laughs> I want to thank you both for being here. Oh, that what is, a pleasure. Thank, thank you very you much. Thank you Very much appreciate it. Iroquois Steeplechase trustee Bill Haggard and Stephen Hurd. Again, thank you both for being here. Our pleasure. Thank you. We're taking a quick break. When we come back, we'll learn what has changed about this time-honored Nashville tradition. And tweet us your steeplechase stories at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about the history of the annual Iroquois steeplechase. Now it's time to explore where the event stands today. Last year marked the first for Black at Steeplechase. Tariva Parham was one of the organizers of Black at Steeplechase. She joins me now. Tariva, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So if you take a look at horse racing events, you may not see a lot of African-American representation, but that's not really the whole story. Tell me about the involvement of African-Americans in the steeplechase over the course of history. All right. Well, so um, as you stated, you know, a lot of times it's not known. And really for about 30 years, black people dominated um, horse racing from 1875 to um, 1902. And it was during that time we saw that even before they established the Triple Crown, there were black jockeys who were winning the Triple Crown before it was known. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of times that was just because of with the history of slavery, you know, black boys, black men, they were involved with uh, raising horses and the farm work and, and all that really went into that. So it just was a natural progression when horse racing became a thing for them to be uh, the go-to people for that. 
Okay, what about here in Nashville in the steeplechase? So here in Nashville, as far as um, the Equity Alliance, where I am the communications manager, last year we hosted Black at Steeplechase. And so really have hosting that particular event was an opportunity for us to just honor the overall involvement of Black people in these types of races. Um, but not it wasn't specific to Tennessee, but it was just in general, because a lot of times people don't think about Black jockeys and the roles that they may have played. So tell me, where was the idea for Black? at Steeplechase Born. Yeah. So the idea came from our uh, co-founders, Tequila Johnson and Charlene Oliver. And it was just an opportunity because we know the history of Steeplechase and it's a premier event. You know, it's the rites of passage for spring. But just wanting to say, hey, you know, there's an opportunity here to involve black people. Let's promote inclusive inclusivity. And, you know, with that, you know, with 2020 and 2021, we saw a lot of opportunities for black people. You know, organizations and companies were opening doors to black people. So we saw this as an opportunity to go into a place where we really typically have not been and to experience that. Okay, so you have this idea Mm -hmm. and this plan. What did you all do next? Ooh, <laughs> it's a whole lot of planning, of course. Contact, you know, Steeplechase to see, hey, what does it take to get a tent? What does it take to, you know, are, are there any permits or what's the work that needs to go um, in order to pull it off? And so we were able to work with a number of vendors. Um, some of those were uh, Ye Ye's on Jefferson. It's a restaurant now, but um, at that time it was just a catering business. And so um, Charlotte, she owns that. So we partnered with her for the food. We had a DJ. We were able to partner with Uncle Nearest uh, Whiskey. They were our whiskey sponsor and the Black Beer Experience, which is an organization here that, you know, just exposes Black people to beer in a new way. Um, They were able to participate as well. And we even had Millennials um, for Flint, which is an organization out of Memphis that donated tickets for people who were just, you know, experiencing the pandemic, but wanted to be able to uh, go to an event of this type. So really reaching out to the community. So tell me about like the kind of response you all were getting is you're saying, okay, here, we're going to have black at steeplechase and some folks who may like i don't know if many people know about the steeplechase event here in nashville or they've heard about it and never thought that they would go talk to me about the kind of response you were getting from people as you all were telling them about this idea so the response was great and the reason that is is because we were able to explain this is steeplechase and this is why you should be here not just because of the outfits not because of the sundresses and the hats and the seersucker suits but really black people have a legacy in horse racing and so let's honor that let's honor our ancestors let's honor honor, you know, the black people to come a lot when it started, you know, definitely black men. But in the 1970s, Cheryl White was a black woman who um, started as a teenager and she started winning races. And while she never got a triple crown, she won in her 21 year history. She won over 750 horse races. Wow, that's a lot. So it really was an opportunity to say, hey, you may not know about steeplechase or maybe you thought it wasn't for you, but this is why you belong. This is why there's a place for you to go and to enjoy, you know, the grandeur and the opulence and all of that and and enjoy it and really embrace it. So, you know, you were digging up a lot of that history. As you guys were digging up this history and you were finding out, wow, these are the achievements people had made, but a little bit unspoken. How did it feel to you personally? Personally, it was it was amazing. It was um almost refreshing in a way because so much about black history, you know, among black people, we say a lot, you know, black people built America, you know, but to really uncover, well, hey, we built America. We built 
horse racing um, and to know, again, that, yes, what started out um, when our people were enslaved then became something that they could be awarded for. Um, and then we also know that they also faced a whole lot of opposition. So that's extremely disheartening to see that sometimes the jockeys would get boxed in and um, they could at sometimes die because of the injuries, just because of the hatred that they were receiving as a part of this. And so there was a period of a blackout where black people did not participate. So that was disheartening, disheartening but also it wasn't surprising when we look at the history of America. Question for you real quick. Are you from Nashville? No, I'm not. I am from the cornfields of Illinois and now living, of course, in the music notes of Tennessee, but I'm originally from uh, Rockford, Illinois. Okay. So tell me, how did the event go last year? We loved it. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> we had a wonderful response. We had over 75 people who purchased tickets. And then, of course, you know, you get the folks who drop in. Um, the outfits were on point. Just a wonderful mood. You know, it was a great day. It was hot, but I loved it. Um, so the weather, you know, it wasn't rainy and it wasn't cold. And it was great to see the, you know, the hounds race, to see the horse races, and just to be a part of something that I hadn't been a part of before. So although we're not doing it this this year, we do look forward to future years that we would be able to bring back Black at Steeplechase. Well, tell me about the plans for your future years. Okay. Well, right now, I'll say that right now we don't have a, um, you know, a current year that we plan to return. This year, we're actually focusing on our Black Women's Empowerment Brunch that will take place in July. So that's where our attention has been this year. But based on the first year, um, based on the success of that, based on just, um, you know, working with the team at Steeplechase and working even with our partners, it definitely set the tone for something that we would want to do in future years. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kali Olekolona. We've been talking about the modern incarnation of the Iroquois steeplechase. People like to also see the horses, but we'd be lying if we didn't say it wasn't also about the fashion. My next guest has an eye for that fashion. Nancy Floyd covered the event for In Focus magazine for years. Nancy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So you've covered the steeplechase for a decade. What was your initial impression of the event? I was kind of blown away, honestly, by what a spectacle it is. <laughs> I had heard a lot about it before I attended, but the first time I went was 10 years ago, and it was it was because I was covering it. I had never attended it as a guest before that. So I was pretty blown away, despite what people had told me. I mean, it is a massive crowd. It is a lot of incredible and outrageous fashions, and it is just a really huge celebration. And I was sort of shocked that I wasn't really more aware of it before I started going to cover it because it is such a huge event. It draws 25,000 people mm. to Percy Warner Park. And um, yeah, it was it's quite a big to-do. So what was it like to cover the event? Um, exhausting, actually. We were, <laughs> we were talking about this before we started recording that um, I'm going to go tomorrow and this is my first time ever attending just as a guest. And I've been having like anxiety dreams all week, thinking of the things that need to be done because in the past it was just such a massive undertaking. I was working as editor in chief of InFocus. So we would have a team of eight people that were out there covering it, photographers and reporters. We would do this on-site portrait studio. So we would build a set and we would do these professional photos of guests. We um, managed a hat contest and a style contest on-site. So I had to manage judges for that and be on the Jumbotron in front of 25,000 people to announce winners and try to get all these nominees who are just drinking more and more as the day goes on out on the field for this very brief window when the track opens between races. So it was always very chaotic and stressful to cover it. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's really one of the best events in Nashville. But an exhausting time, too. Yes. So it's Friday. The steeplechase, we know what happens. Uh, Bill mentioned a little bit previously about what goes on in the infield. Tell me, what are some of the wildest things you have seen at the steeplechase? 
Well, the first year that I attended Steeplechase was the year that Steeplechase went viral for the the uh, fight, the cat fight in the infield. I don't know if you've seen this video. Just I have Google not it. seen the video. Just Google it. It'll okay. come up. Yeah. Um, a couple of people had a bit too much to drink, and they they had a little bit of a fight. And it, it, it was caught on film, and it was posted to YouTube, and everybody picked it up. So that was not really the coverage that Steeplechase wanted. That, though, the very first year I went, we, we, we were primarily in the box holder area. That's where the area that we were covering um, for the magazine. But I was like, I need to go see the infield, of course. And we waited till the end of the day when we were done with all of our work to do that, which was maybe the best, maybe the worst time to finally make it over there. But um, I mean, I saw people, you know, passed out in backs of trucks. One guy was very proud to tell me that he had been to I don't know, 10 or 15 steeplechases and he had never once seen a horse. <laughs> so he was oh, wow. thrilled that, you know, he was he was living his best life there. So yeah, he's having yeah. a good time. And now Tariva Parham is still with us. So did you see things, people taking it a little bit too far as far as like their alcohol intake at last year's races? Um, I did. It, well, I was say I, I won't say that they took it too far, so it didn't go there. But we did see people, you know, come on over to our tent, you know, b- being very zealous, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and having clearly um, taken a, a lot to drink and not enough to eat. Um, so we saw that, but it wasn't anything that took away from us enjoying uh, the event ourselves. But definitely, I would say there was a, a very festive, um, you know, mood for everyone in attendance. I'm wondering, Nancy, how does the day go down? How early does it get started? Well, if you're in the infield, it gets started very early. I think the gates open at 8 a.m. for because all the the infielder they're in the infield, so they have to get in early because they have to be able to close the track. So they start getting there at eight, which is part of the problem because they start drinking very early as mm. well. Um, the opening ceremonies I think start around noon or 12:30, and the first race is at one. Uh, traditionally, there's been seven races this year. I, this year and last year, I think they um, combined two, so there's six races. And then between every race, there's some sort of activity. They do stick horse races for the kids. Um, Bill and Steve mentioned the Parade of the Hounds, which personally is my favorite part of the entire day. That is great. Uh, and Focus does their hat and style contest, so we would be out on the field be- between some of the races. So it is you know, a full day of things to to watch and enjoy. And of course, the people watching is the best thing to do, and you can do that all day. So it's usually, some people get there as early as eight, and then typically people are still there till about five, 5.30. You mentioned the stick horse races for the kids. What's that like? It's adorable. That's one of the first things they do. I think they they do it by age, but yeah, so it is just a ton of kids. They let them go out onto the track. There's just a small section right at the finish line. And it also was complete and total chaos as kids are just running and, you know, they're going for it. But it's really, really cute. It's a really sweet thing. And it's great because Steeplechase is a family event. I mean, there are a lot of people that come and just adults that come and there's a lot of partying that happens. But there are a lot of like sweet families and they they do a great job of of providing opportunities for family, um, for families that want to attend the event together. On the fashion front, how much of the day is inspired by the fashions at the Kentucky Derby? I would say largely. I think that there is a lot of inspiration that's drawn from the Kentucky Derby. I mean, hats are such a huge part of the Iroquois steeplechase. And, you know, women start planning their outfits months in advance. They There is um, a, a, a f- official milliner of the Iroquois steeplechase. Her name is Christine Amore, and she's also the official milliner of the Kentucky Derby. So she does a partnership with Gus Meyer here. So she comes into town. So a lot of women go and, and either order hats she's already made or they have custom hats made based on the dress that they want to wear, the color scheme they want to wear. But a lot of women are ordering from milliners, you know, in the UK and they're getting just these incredible hats. And yeah, they spend some money and they spend some time to, to look good. We were we were chatting about this before we yes. came on, but it's um <laughs> it's it's some people invest a lot of money in the in the uh, steeplechase look. Tariva, how much did you invest? Oh goodness. 
I would say, well, I used a skirt that I had not worn a lot before. Um, I had to be comfortable. So I had, you know, a cute pair of, you know, glittery sneakers. Um, I purchased a top and then I purchased my uh, fascinator. So I'd say I was able to spend less than $100. Well done. And she looked amazing. <laughs> she looked amazing. I actually, the Equity Alliance did um, host our own, uh, you know, best dress contest for the women. And I was the winner of that. So okay. Was, uh, it's nice know, to be I talking did all right. to the reigning champion. <laughs> this kind of feels like prom a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Yes. Everybody gets in. You know, so so Nancy, tell me, what are the outfits you most remember from your coverage? Well, so one of the things that we would do with our style contest is we would have, you know, a best-dressed woman, best-dressed man, best-dressed couple, but we also had most outrageous because a lot of people really go way over the top. So I do remember the year that Prince passed away, there was a grandmother and grandson that had hats that they made inspired by Prince. So there was a purple rain hat that was insane and big and amazing. And then he was wearing a little red Corvette hat. It was very, very cute. Oh, very nice. I, I uh, one time saw a person in a hat that, actually had, it looked like a track and it had horses that moved around the hat, which was pretty amazing. So a, me a mechanical hat, which was pretty great. Um, those are two that really stand out in my memory from the last from the last 10 years. So Nancy, I understand that you're planning to attend as a fan, as you mentioned. What are you most excited about by not having to take on everything you did I'm actually focus. most excited to show my husband the Iroquois steeplechase. He has never gone. He's never been with me. I've always been there working. So he's never attended. And we have been in Nashville uh, since the late 90s. And then we left for a little while. We came back. But he's never once attended. So he's coming with me. And I'm really excited for him to finally get to see what I've been talking about for 10 years and what I've been exhausted by for 10 years. So <laughs> I'm, I'm most looking forward to just spending the day with him and, and just having fun. I have to ask you. What will you be wearing? Okay, I knew you were going to ask me this, and the answer is I still don't know. What? <laughs> I, have, I know. I have options, but I am one of those people who I, I, I love and appreciate the hats that everyone wears. I think it is a little absurd to spend that much money on something you literally can only wear one time. So I have some hats I borrowed from some very kind friends. I have a couple fascinators I ordered that were affordable online. I have, a, I have a lot of dresses that I just own. So I was trying on outfits last night for my husband trying to figure this out. So I will make a decision I don't know, by 11 a.m. tomorrow morning when I leave my house, that's for sure. <laughs> so, and we'll you're going to look sharp. Will you promise to send us pictures? I will send you photos. I will post them on social media, too, so everybody can see what I wore. But now I feel pressure. I'm not, I'm not going to be best dressed. I'm not going to win. I'm not going to look as good as she did last year. <laughs> what do you think, Tariva? I think that whatever she chooses, that it will be great. Um, hopefully, she's you know going to demonstrate some nice pops of color. I, I say be colorful this year. For sure. All right. All right. Now, Nancy, real quick, what do you have to say to people who have never been to the races? I think you should come. I think that it's something every Nashvilleian should do at least one time. And I think that it is just a really fun event. It's been going on for 81 years now in the city. It raises millions of dollars for the Children's Hospital, which is really incredible. And it really is just a, a beautiful, outrageous spectacle. So I think everybody should make plans to attend and at least one time in your life. But let that be a bucket list item that you do. I got about 40 seconds left, Tariva. I agree with that, that everyone should uh, should attend. You know, Black at Steeplechase was a major success. We look forward to bringing it back for the Equity Alliance at some point in the future. And I wish everyone the best for this year's. Okay. I really am planning to go. I can't go tomorrow because I've got a lot of a big, I got a big schedule ahead of me, but hearing you all talk about it, hearing the excitement, okay, next year I'm planning to go, but I want, I will do this. I will start working on my outfit for next year. And I guarantee you, 
it's going to be quite outrageous. I don't okay. doubt that. Mechanical. <laughs> yeah, mechanical. <laughs> we mechanical. want movement. We want movement in that hat. Okay, I wonder. Okay, color schemes. What should I do? Bright. 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 Mm-hmm. Bright. Spring Bright colors. colors. Yeah. Lots of color. It's a it's color wins the day for sure. That's what we're gonna do. That is Nancy Floyd, formerly of InFocus magazine. She was joined by Tariva Parham, organizer of Black at Steeplechase. Thanks to you both for being with us. Thanks for having Thank us. You. This was fun. All right, it's Friday. That means it's time for us to hop out of the studio and ride shotgun with a fellow Nashvilleian. But this time we're not getting into a car. In honor of the steeplechase, we're hopping on a horse. We sent producer Rose Gilbert to ride a horse. My name is Lisa Conto, and I'm the assistant trainer here at Blackfriar Farm. So we're getting tacked up to ride now. This is Miss Val. She's about 20-something years old. She's an older girl, but she is the sweetest. I think we'll get her tacked up first, and then I can grab my horse. What are the steps to tacking up here? Uh, so first you would brush your horse, pick their hooves, make sure, you know, especially where the saddle pad and girth goes that, you know, there's no mud, dirt, things like that. Um, she's already been groomed, so we don't need to do that right now. Uh, and then you'll put your saddle pad on. Is there a placement that's right on the back? Yeah, so this is her withers right here. It's the highest point right here on her neck and then the pad just kind of goes up to that point and then it will reach their shoulder over here now here's the saddle this is the saddle um let's see so we'll fix your stirrup length when we get down there once you get on i'll help you with that so this is the bridle so it's over their head this is the bit and it sits in their mouth in a place where there's no teeth on that side. Um, so this just sits on their tongue. And as you pull the reins here, you know, it's going to move in their mouth. And so that's kind of how they're trained is they feel every single movement on this bit. So I'll be riding Bunny. She is a quarter horse. Have you ever fallen off a horse? Many, many times. <laughs> you're in this sport where you're riding an animal and you're jumping and you're out in the field, right? And they're animals. You never know what's going to spook them or... I mean, I've heard it's important to get back in the saddle. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you have to get back in the saddle. There's been some nasty falls that I've taken and my trainers are always like, you got to get back up there. So even if like, you have a broken arm you still better get back up in the saddle so like same day or like yeah like right after if you can like physically and it's just a little bit of pain you got to get back up good girl these are the neighbor's ponies i think these guys are babies hello pretty they look young yeah do horses always come over to say hi when new people are here? Mm-hmm. They're curious and they're very social animals. So they know who's in their pack and who lives across the way. These horses, they have a lot of mirror neurons. And so they, if whatever you're feeling, they can take on. 
So you actually, in order to like um, have a really good relationship and have them be calm, like you also have to be calm. So the old thing that horses can smell fear, there's some truth to that. Oh, absolutely. If you're scared, they know it. They know everything, everything you're feeling. <laughs> um, you know, being around some of the people who have been here a little longer, how do, how do they feel about the connection between the kind of the countryside here in Nashville? Does it feel distant to them or does it feel interconnected? You know, so, um, a lot of people that come out here actually live in Nashville. Um, so they, they drive with, it's like 25 minutes from downtown um, so they make the drive out and so I think it's also like a little getaway for them too. you know get out of the city come into the country and get on your horse because <laughs> there's you know the nature really does something for you you know we're not too far from Nashville um, have you been into the city much oh yeah I love to go out to the city say once a week or so I like to get down there and explore I mean it's funny Nashville's only 30 minutes away but it, it doesn't feel like we're next to a major city it doesn't I really love it out here it's beautiful I come out here in the morning and all the birds are just chirping and going crazy and it's just the beautiful most beautiful thing have you been to the Iroquois steeplechase I have not been are you going this weekend I am getting married this weekend oh, <laughs> But that was our backup plan, actually, to go to the steeplechase. If the, if the wedding didn't right, work out? Right, if the wedding didn't work out, because we're getting eloped, so it was kind of like a last-minute thing. So if the wedding wasn't going to happen, um, we were going to go to the steeplechase. Thanks for tagging along with our producer, Rose Gilbert, for that horse ride. That's it. I'm going to Steeplechase. Maybe I'll see y'all there. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. We're kicking off next week with an episode on sexism in country music. Then Tuesday, we're going back in time to 1961 on the day Nashville students joined the Freedom Riders. Tune in. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Janice Robinson. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. And be good to each other.